I don't even have to ask. I'm just going to say that I'm very sorry that none of your Mother's Day celebrations included or will include a meal at the Olive Garden or even Taco Bell. Of course, in some states, restaurants are opening, but not in our little village. There is no Olive Garden unless you've planted one. What amazes me about Port Lions and even Old Harbor and even Kodiak is how connected so many are to a handful of very faithful and godly mothers. Of course, I'm thinking of Helen Nelson here in Port Lyons, a woman who exemplifies how a loyalty to and allegiance to Jesus can reach so many. I also think of Florence Pestrikoff, whose home we lived in in Old Harbor for two years. It seems like everywhere you turn, you find someone who's connected with these godly women. I also know that Mother's Day can be a difficult Sunday for many. Some of you are missing mothers or missing children who have passed. Others are remembering mothers who were anything but godly examples. And many suffer from a church culture that can tend toward making parenting an idol. And you might feel left out or a bit on the fringe of things at times because you don't or can't have children. And frankly, the American evangelical church needs to be better in this area. It seems that we've made it possible to be a wonderful mother while remaining a nominal and maybe even lacking follower of Jesus. But that's a different sermon. What I want to do this Mother's Day Sunday is to try to connect us to our foremothers and to our forefathers in the faith. Now, one advantage that the Eastern Church and the Roman Catholic Church have over the American Evangelical Protestant Church is that they more readily connect to the Church's beginnings. I am from a Protestant tradition that most readily connects with the 16th century Protestant Reformation. Unless I intentionally think beyond Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and those men, I'm prone to assume that that's where my church began, and sometimes I act that way. The passage we're looking at today takes us back much further than the 1500s. Acts 10 will tell us how we, being Gentiles, became part of God's plan, part of his purpose and his kingdom. Now that might sound like a strange thing to say. Unless I'm reading passages like today's from the Bible, I rarely think of myself as a Gentile. But I am. I am not Jewish. I have no connections to Judaism that I know of in my family tree. And Gentiles now make up the vast majority of the church throughout the world. And when you're in the majority, you don't think as much about where you came from, about your origin. It's just human nature, I think. The distinctiveness of being a male, for example, comes to mind. Most clearly when I'm the only man in a house full of women, which is every day for me. My identity is being born and raised in the great, though small, country of Texas. doesn't come to mind until I'm with good people from other places who don't understand my references to Whataburger or Big Red. No, not the gum. And every time I say y'all, I look to see how you react, unless I'm visiting my home state where I don't think about it at all. Now, the church has been largely Gentile for the majority of its history, but it did not start that way. 
In fact, the story is amazing. And even more so, if you can imagine that you are in the minority, on the outside looking in, a Gentile connecting to a community that is almost completely Jewish. And that's where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was with one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now, Caesarea is a port city. It was built by Herod the Great to import Roman influence. It was known as the most Roman town in the Middle East. Cornelius is a centurion. He's in command of a unit of 100 men. And his job meant that he helped to enforce Roman rules and to collect Roman taxes in this area. Yet Luke does tell us that he's devout, that he's a God-fearer, and that he regularly prayed and gave alms. Cornelius is not a Jew, but he's devoted to the God of the Jews and to some of the ethics of Judaism. But he's not converted. He hasn't submitted to things like circumcision. If he had done so, it would have been difficult for him to maintain his employment with Rome, Israel's oppressor. And don't miss this. He works for Rome, a nation from which Jews are praying and seeking deliverance, a nation that's occupying the promised land. So Cornelius has a vision of an angel who tells him that his prayers and good works have not been ignored by God. The angel tells him to send for Peter. He doesn't know why, but he obeys. And that brings us to verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened up and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Verse 14. Surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Verse 17. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. 
And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. So Peter is in Joppa. Joppa was Jonah's point of departure, if the name sounds familiar. It was Jonah's port of departure in his flight from God to the end of the earth, to get as far away as possible as he could from God. Now, Joppa will be Peter's point of departure. Not to go to the ends of the earth to get away from God, but to the ends of the earth to take God's message of his kingdom and of his son. He's taking it to a man and to a household who represent the ends of the earth. Peter's hungry and goes to the roof of Simon's house while the food is being prepared. While praying, he has a vision, a sheet or a sail full of different kinds of animals descends from heaven, offering Peter food to satisfy his hunger. Some or maybe all of these creatures are unclean. So Peter rejects the offer. The Lord tells Peter not to call anything unclean that he has declared to be clean. This is repeated twice more for a total of three times. God seems to deal with Peter in threes. He denies knowing Jesus three times before realizing what he's done. Jesus restores him three times in one of the most beautiful scenes in all of the New Testament. Now, this vision that is on the surface about what Peter can and can't eat occurs three times, telling us that there's something here, something more important than food, though the food is important. It really is about food, and it also is really about so much more, though we see Peter in the process of working out what it means. And while he's thinking about it, The Spirit tells him about these visitors from Caesarea and tells him to go with them without hesitation, without deliberation. And we still don't know the why for any of this. The men came because Cornelius sent them. Cornelius wants Peter to come to Caesarea because the angel told him. We don't know exactly what he expected from Peter. And that brings us here to the second part of verse 23 and following. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. 
He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising an objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Verse 30. Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I've sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Verse 39. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard him speaking in they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, "Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have." So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Peter arrives in Caesarea to a crowd at Cornelius' home. And right away, when Cornelius bows to honor Peter, Peter levels things between them. He says, get up. I'm only a man myself. Peter enters the house, and right away he tells his audience that it's against Jewish law for him to be there. But God has shown him that he shouldn't call anyone unclean. Peter's now made the connection between his vision of the food and the Gentiles. Cornelius then explains why he has asked Peter to come so that he can give them a message from the Lord. Peter's understanding grows. 
I now realize that God does not show favoritism. Peter declares the gospel to Cornelius' household, telling them how God has offered peace through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, all of this being evidence that Jesus is Lord of all. He's Lord of the Jews, and he's Lord of the Gentiles. And while Peter is speaking, in a reenactment of Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon everyone there. Peter sees no reason that these Gentiles can't be baptized, so they are, and Peter stays for several days. Now, what do I want you to see from Peter's message? A few things. First of all, Jews and Gentiles are united in their common condition. Jews and Gentiles are united in their common condition. Both, all, are in need of peace. We all need peace vertically between us and God. We all need peace horizontally between us, between one another. Second, Jews and Gentiles are united in their common cure. The God of Israel sent his son to provide this peace. And he didn't do this. Now get this, Jesus doesn't win peace for us. He doesn't earn peace for us. He doesn't create peace for us by inflicting violence on the Gentile oppressors. But God sent Jesus to earn peace by suffering violence so that even Gentiles could be reconciled to God. So Jews and Gentiles are united in their common condition. They're also united in the common cure. And thirdly, Jews and Gentiles are united in their common confirmation. Peter recognizes the same Holy Spirit that fell upon the Jews in Jerusalem has now come upon these Gentiles in Caesarea. This is God himself confirming that he is with them. He is with these Gentiles. He is their God, and now they are part of his people. So if these things are true, what must be our response? First of all, if you are a Gentile, as most of you are, you need to understand how amazing it is that God provided a way for you to be among his people. You didn't have to become Jewish. You didn't have to come to him, but he came to you. This reality should move us to praise and thanksgiving for how glorious is his plan and how compassionate is his person. Second, you need to consider if there is anyone or any group that you think of as outsiders, as those who need to come around, whatever that might mean, before God can use them. Realize that they have the same condition, the same cure. And if they turn to that cure, 
they'll have the same confirmation as you. There might be a million other differences between you and and them, but God does not show favoritism because Jesus has proven, his resurrection proves it. He is Lord of all. Amen.